Welcome back to Crow and Friends Guide to Weird Fiction, Folklore, Mythology, and everything in between, where I, Fern, talk about folklore and mythology, and Crow talks about weird fiction, and definitely not ever butt cheeks. Never butt cheeks. Never. 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 Never the butts. Today, we have an exciting story that we're going to tell. It's going to be more of an epic rather than one of my, like, all about one thing kind of things. And we are going to the Arctic. And I will tell you all about it after the music. So we're going to the Arctic. The story is from Inuit mythology, and it is one of the most important stories, well, groups of stories, I should say, in the Inuit culture, but also like in the Arctic in general. This is the story of Kiviuk. Kiviuk is a really famous figure all over that northern area, and his legend is spread far and wide. He's one of those figures that there are lots and lots of different stories about. All the way, like, from northern Canada, people have even recorded stories in from Siberia. So this is really an important figure and a fascinating one. I have to say, though, Inuit mythology is probably one of my favorite mythologies. I think it's one that gets slept on a lot because people get so caught up in like the Greek and the Roman and the Norse mythologies, and those are great. But let me tell you, one of my personal favorites is actually Inuit mythology. The storytelling is rich, the culture behind it is fascinating, and the mythology is complex and deeply intriguing. There are a lot of really unique and different stories that are different from many of the stories that we hear more frequently. And so I think you'll see that with the story of Kiviuk, uh, at least the stories that I have chosen to tell today, because there is no way we could talk about every story there is about Kiviuk. Have you heard of him, Crow? No, I haven't. He's the central character kind of like King Arthur. You could say he's kind of like King Arthur. In Romanian, we have Fatfurmos, who Harapal. is like a... Oh, sorry. No, no. Harapalb is specific to that story. Fatfurmos is the one that is like in a lot of different stories. Fatfurmos was with the the town of the where everyone was turned into weenie dogs, right? <laughs> no, no, no. You're That's the Heart of Ice one. That's a French okay, one. Okay, sorry. Oh, sorry. It was... Frumos of the Tear, and he was the one that had the bro dude, <laughs> the, the bro oh. prince. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so Kiviuk, let's talk about some of the more specific legends. It's said that he was the first human ever, but it's also said that he had a mother, so don't think too hard about how that works. <laughs> Let the people have their <laughs> stories. <clears throat> he has lived for a very long time, and he has had many lives. He wanders through many different adventures as kind of a timeless warrior. And Kiviuk is said to have been all throughout the Arctic. He gets lost, <laughs> you'll see in the story, and he travels all over. Many people kind of insert their legends as, well, while Kiviuk was traveling, this is something that happened, and this is something he came across. And so it's very easy to add to this legend. There are so many different stories about his adventures, and this is only a small part of what is said about him. I'm going to warn you right now, this is going to start about something that's going to feel unrelated, and it's going to take a while to get to Kiviuk, but I promise we'll get there, and this is probably one of the more common aspects of this story. In his village, there was a little boy who lived alone with his grandmother. His parents had died, and so it was just the two of them, and they only had each other, and they were very, very poor. Because his grandmother was old and frail, and he was young and still growing, there was no real hunter in the family, which in Inuit society at the time was very important because if you wanted to have a hunter in the family so they could go out and get 
seals and caribou, which provided like food and material for the family. They didn't have that, so they were kind of doing the best they could to get by with mm-hmm. very little. And so what they would do, like normally the Inuit would make clothing from seal skin and caribou, which would be thick and keep them warm in that. Because, you know, we're talking about the Arctic. You can get some pretty intense cold in those regions and very long winters. And so they really did need all of that extra insulation. They didn't have a hunter. There was no one to bring in the seal and the caribou. And so they mm-hmm. struggled to, to get cloth. Because if you think about it, like, either you need to be able to have agriculture and grow cloth-related products like cotton or um, mm-hmm. some of these other things, or you have to bring in animals that you can make clothing out of. And the, the Arctic is not friendly to agriculture. Obviously. Snow turnips. Right. Basically, if you didn't have a hunter, it was difficult to get clothing. I read once about how, you know, people in the region eat seal meat. And then Mm -hmm. people were asking, oh, what does that taste like? And they were like, well, it's not it's not really about how flavorful it is. It's about that you can't really find another source of meat for miles and miles sometimes. Uh huh. Yeah. Seals were very important. It's a harsh environment. Yeah, they feature heavily in the stories. They pop up. In fact, they'll pop up quite a bit in this story, but in the other stories I've read as well. Because they struggled to get the seals, what they would do is they would set snares to catch birds. And the grandmother was doing the best she could, made this little boy clothing out of bird skin, which cooking I've dealt a lot with chicken skin and... That is not very thick. I imagine it wouldn't be warm. And so I imagine this poor child was probably cold very, very frequently. Yeah, she made a coat out of him. Coat. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. We went from chicken skins to human skin coat fern. What are you doing? (laughs) She made a coat for him out of chicken skin. (laughs) Not even specifically chicken skin. Bird skin, which we all think would be pretty cold. But it also looked kind of silly. And the villagers were assholes about it. And they started calling him Bird Boy because he looked different. And they would laugh at him and they would bully him. And all of the boys his age would bully him and some of the adults would bully him. And he got called Bird Boy and laughed at and they would beat him up and they would rip his clothes, which I don't know about that. I know. Oh my God. This was some intense bullying. Let me tell you, first of all, He's doing the best he can. He's trying to keep warm in this cold environment with, like, bird skin. And the other boys just keep tearing it up, which, I don't know, that's just really mean. That's disgusting. What the fuck? That's like, it takes... Mm -hmm. I've always thought wedgies were super disturbing because I was like, you're grabbing someone's underwear, you know? So, Mm -hmm. but, but like, ripping someone's clothes, like, that teeters Mm -hmm. into harassment territory yeah it does get into that like uncomfortable area because obviously this is just a little boy he's he's not and also do they want to kill him because they know how cold it is and that not having the right clothes could kill you is that is that the plan this is honestly i did question that because he's got to stay warm somehow and if they're tearing up his clothes what is he supposed to do you know it's really it's it's crossing a line but not one line many lines it's crossing many lines aggressively and it's not okay (laughs) it really isn't and so like his poor grandma was doing the best she could he would come home crying and she would sew everything back together that she could but obviously like sometimes things are destroyed beyond repair and so they would just hopefully be able to catch more birds and make more bird skin clothes it was just like this reoccurring cycle of of torment and like you said it's a brutal place they have limited resources and the winters are very harsh and so it was a rough situation and the poor boy's grandmother was constantly trying to fix these clothes like every day like it was a daily thing And it was just getting to her to the point where she was struggling to keep up with it. 
And they were both very upset. Basically, if he had had lunch money, these boys would have taken it. Would have taken it from him. Absolutely. The only person who was ever kind to the little boy was Kiviuk. And he did try to protect him, but, you know, he's only one person, and he can't be there all the time to keep him safe. And so the bullying continued. Grandma went and begged the villagers to take pity on her grandson and stop tormenting him. But they only laughed. The shitheads. The absolute shitheads. Like bullying a small child. Who does that to a child? Seriously. Seriously. Eventually, Grandma had had enough. She was done. And she was tired of the nonsense. So one day, he came crying. And instead of just promising to fix his clothes, he promised him revenge. Oh, I like it. I like Grandma. Grandma. Grandma is done. Grandma wants vengeance. (laughs) Honestly, sounds like something my mom would do. I kind of love it. (laughs) (laughs) So this is one place where I found like two different versions of this legend. In one legend, she was just magical. And she took some water and she poured it onto the mud floor. And she told him to step into the puddle. And uh, not be afraid by what happened. And when he did... He fell into the earth and emerged near the beach as a small seal, a beautiful yearling seal. The other version of the story is that someone had taken pity on them and had caught a seal for them and given it to them as a gift. And grandma told this little boy, I want you to skin the seal, but be very, very careful not to put any holes in its skin whatsoever. You have to skin it without piercing the skin. And so the little boy did. I imagine that took a lot of time because that would be very difficult. It really is. Yeah, and then once he had skinned the seal, she told him to put the seal skin on, which he did. And then she was like, okay, now I need you to practice holding your breath. And so she gave him a bucket of water and she's like, Hold your breath as long as you can. And so he did. He stuck his head in there until his lungs were burning. And then he pulled his head out and then he would breathe. And she was like, again, but this time for longer. And and he kept practicing it until he could hold his breath for hours and hours and hours. And when she was satisfied that he could hold his breath long enough, she was like, okay, now go down to the seashore. And this is what I want you to do. Either way... He ends up by the ocean shore disguised as a seal. One of these disguises is like he's actually a seal. And the other one is he is in a seal skin. And because he's a small boy, he looks quite a bit like a seal, I guess. He appears as a seal either way. He goes into the water and then he goes over to the shore where his bullies are and surfaces so they can see him. And they immediately get excited because he's a beautiful yearling seal with a perfect shiny coat. Oh no. And so they all jump into their kayaks and they paddle out after the seal. And this little boy, he swims out, but not too far, where they can still see him, where they're still willing to paddle out after him. And then as soon as they're close, he'll dive underneath and swim out a little further and surface a little bit further and then they'll paddle out further after him and then he dives again when they get close because the way that they hunted seals was basically they had these spears they would harpoon them like chuck the spears at them and pull them in you know and so the little boy is getting taking them slowly further and further and further out to sea but only bit by bit so they don't fully realize it right and before they know it far out to sea and haven't even noticed that the shore has gotten quite a bit far far away and there is an old Inuit legend or idea that the weather that is happening when you're born is your weather it's supposed to be like the weather that happens every time you have a birthday and you call to this weather to come when you need it When this little boy was born, it was very, very windy. And so he called out to the wind and said, Where is my wind? Where is my wind? And he asked it to come. And the wind heard his cries and came and blew huge waves onto the sea and 
these kayaks were capsized and pulled under. Everyone on that trip was killed except Kivyu, who happened to be there. He saw the seal and went with them. The little boy, like once everyone was gone, he was like, was okay, nice. I'm good. He, yeah, he turned back into a human and he just walked across the water back home without ever getting his feet wet because magic. But Kivyu survived this storm. Some say it's because he was nice to the boy and he was spared. Others say that it was because he was so determined that every time his kayak walked over, and he was supposed to be like a really strong dude too, by the way, he would use his paddle to flip it back over. And, you know, I imagine the other guys did this too, but when it keeps happening, eventually you reach a point of exhaustion where you just can't fight anymore. And this is where Kivyu distinguishes himself, where he's so strong that even though he keeps getting flipped over again and again and again, he keeps flipping himself back over with his, his paddle to get his kayak upright again and again and again. And he just doesn't give up and doesn't stop, even when it is exhausting and overwhelming. And eventually the water is calm and he is still alive, but he's exhausted. So he falls asleep. So he's just, you know, in his kayak falls asleep and the winds and the water just take him far, far, far away from his village. He slept a long time. Listen, it's exhausting. You try it. You try the kayak thing. I would rather not, to be honest. It sounds cold and difficult, and I have weak noodle arms. Yeah, I feel like most of us would drown. Like, this is this is where we're supposed to say, like, oh, Kivyuk is, like, really strong and amazing because he managed to keep upright. And honestly, if anyone You're, who... He really is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's what I'm saying. He really I'm giving is. him props. <laughs> so what is the moral here? Don't kill your enemies? I disagree. <laughs> And if I can get to be a badass selkie doing it, why not? <laughs> I mean, the story doesn't really condemn the boy and his grandmother. You kind of get the feeling that these bullies deserved it. I have seen this theme before about how it's important to be kind to people in a village who don't have any way to fend for themselves. Like, you know, like a, an old woman and children and things like this. And so there is built into this story. A little bit of shaming of these bullies because these are the weak people in our community who need protecting. In other stories, people distinguish themselves as good and kind by taking care of similar people, you know, like the the elderly and children and things like that. And there, there really are consequences to people who are bad to people like that who are more vulnerable. And so you are supposed to take away from this that it is not a small thing to be bad to vulnerable people. Because the vulnerable people are going to turn into seals. They're going to kick your ass. Well, I think like when you are living in such a harsh environment, the line between living and dying and, you know, like being okay and is starving can be really thin. Yeah, it's, it is. It is. And, and so I, I do think there is some morality built into there. Like you, we need to take care of our entire community. And so we are kind of left with this, well, the bullies deserved it. It is kind of, it is kind of intense, but <laughs> it, yep. it, it is a strong condemnation of people who are not good to the vulnerable. Yeah. Anyway, Kiviuk drifts out to sea where there's no land in sight. He's lost and drifting for days far, far, far from his home. For most of his journey, he was lost in the mist, which is even trickier because then you don't know where you are at all. One day he saw a dark mass, which he thought was land, and he started to row towards it. However, as he got closer, he realized, oh shit, this is not land. This is a whirlpool. And it was only pulling with desperately with all of his strength that he managed to avoid getting sucked into it. And not only that, but that happened to him more than once. For what seemed like forever, he fought his way across the perils of the sea, getting caught in high waves, mist, torrential weather, all while having no idea where he was or where he was going. Now, Kiviuk's mother had always sewn a feather on the back of his coat. And he had never known why she did this, but it, it was always there. It was a little brown feather. 
And as he paddled through the ocean, a little brown bird called a sagua appeared. Now, I was not able to find an actual bird that corresponded with this, but from the description, this is an aquatic bird that likes to swim in ponds and small and brown. And it popped out of the water and landed on the end of his kayak and talked to him. And it said, Kiviuk, do you know where you're going? And of course he did not. So he said, no. <laughs> and so the bird said, follow me. And Kiviuk paddled after the bird. They went for a long time. He thought for a while that he'd seen land and it ended up just being a wave. And the bird is like, do you know where you're going? And he's like, no, please keep leading me. And so the bird kept leading him and he kept following the bird. And eventually he saw something on the horizon that was long and thin. And he's like, is this land or is this just another big wave? They got closer and closer. And it, when they were there, it got thicker and bigger and bigger. And he realized this is land. This is land. And the bird that he'd found in the water had taken him to the land. As they got closer to the land, he saw on the shore a stone house with a light coming from inside, like a lamp, you know, like a little mm -hmm. lamp. He approached the home and there was an old woman inside. She invited him in. She was very warm and charming and like, oh yeah, it must have been really tough out there on the ocean with no idea where you were going. And why don't you come inside and sit down and warm yourself by my fire and I'll take care of you. And so she helped him take off his boots and she took his socks and she hung them by the fire so that they would dry out and warm up. And, you know, he'd have nice and toasty socks because that sounds lovely. And she's like, have you eaten anything lately? And he's like, no, I'm very hungry. And she's like, okay, I'm going to go into the kitchen in the other room. And I will make you a big fancy meal because you must be starving. And he was like, yes. After <laughs> all that rowing. Yeah, he hadn't, like, he's been out at sea for days and days and he hasn't really eaten. The, okay, this is the one thing about the story that drives me a little bit crazy is like how, if, if you're in the ocean and it's salt water, what is he drinking? What, what, what water is he? I'm sure he had like I'm sure he brought some water like with the kayaks they probably had some like maybe some animal skins full of water or something like that but I don't know I don't know how that works he was alive though so he sat by the fire and he waited and he was so hungry he felt like it was taking an eternity for the food to arrive and he's like what is she doing in the kitchen I'm really hungry but it, he didn't want to complain because it was really nice of her to make him food. And um, it took so long that in that time his socks had dried. And he's like, okay, I'll, I'll put my socks on. And he goes to reach for his socks. And the frame that they're on grows taller. And he can't reach them. So he, he tries, he stands up and he reaches as high as he can. And the frame grows taller and he can't reach it. And so he calls the old woman back and he's like, I can't get my socks. Can you get my socks for me? And she goes, get them yourself. And then she leaves. And he's like, well, that was rude. Was it or was he rude for asking her to give him socks? Well, he couldn't get them. So he tries again to get the socks and the frame grows larger again and he can't reach them. And so he calls the woman again and he's like, hey, I can't get my socks. Can you grab those for me? And she's like, no, you lazy bum. Get them yourself. And she leaves again and he tries again and he fails again. And he tries to ask her again and she tells him no and leaves. And at this point, Kibiuk is doing a little introspection. He's like, okay, she seemed really nice at first and now she seems really mean. She clearly has magic. I don't think she's making food for me. I think she is making a fire to toss me onto it and eat me. And she's going to use her magic against me. And this is a bad situation. Whoops. Yeah, I know. He decides he's going to have to answer magic with magic. And Kiviuk has a spirit animal. Do you, do you want to guess what a spirit animal is? No. Because I'll make a fool of myself. <laughs> Tell me. Do it. Make a fool of yourself. Uh, is it is it that weird bird, the sagua? 
Is that the plot twist? That would make so much sense, but no. I kind of wanted it to be a penguin. That would be cute. Aww. But no, it's a, it's a polar bear. Oh. <laughs> his spirit animal is a polar bear. Classic. He summons his spirit animal. And what basically starts happening is you hear a low growl. And at first, the woman doesn't even notice it. And so he keeps summoning it like, come on, spirit animal, come on. And the low growl turns into a mighty roar. And the white bear rises up from the floor. And at that point, the woman has noticed and she's kind of freaked out. And she's like, okay, okay, okay. And she hands him his socks and everything. And he, he's like, okay, we're done. And he runs out because he doesn't want to deal with her. And she doesn't want to deal with him. And so he has his things and he just runs straight to his kayak. Once he's out, she's like, wait a sec, what am I going to eat now? And she gets her courage back. She gets a knife and she goes running after him. And she's going to throw this knife at him. And But once he's in the kayak, he has his spear. So he lifts up his spear. And it's basically like a standoff where he's like, try me. And she's like, okay, 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 you win. And she went back into her hut. <laughs> and he rode off as fast as he could. I mean, if I saw a polar bear trying to attack me, I think I'd pretty much give up on all of my life, my life streams and give him whatever he wants or whatever she wants. You don't stick around. No. <laughs> or you might because you're frozen in terror. Okay, that's true. That's true. But this woman kind of strikes me as a badass, to be completely honest. Like, I know she's a cannibalistic witch, but but she's not really, like, it's not until there's a polar bear threatening to eat her and, like, she's about to get hit by a spear that she backs down. And even then, she's like, I'm not really convinced that I want to give up. I'm just going to, like, kind of give up until you turn your back for a second. <laughs> that makes sense. And I think, like, there is a little message about the harshness of the environment sandwiched in here. Because even though we're talking about, like, cannibalism, I don't get the impression that she's trying to eat Kivyuk just for the hell of it or, like, because she's evil for evil's sake you get the feeling that she is hungry like i i think she's not preparing kivyuk food because she has no food to prepare so kivyuk is the food that she's going to prepare because she i don't think she's eaten in a while to be honest and so there is this message about the desperation and how difficult it is to survive by yourself out in the wild. Okay. And I think like that's also why she gets over her fear and comes after him is because the desperation to survive. Yeah. It's like exactly. your survival instincts kind of kick in. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're hungry enough, you'll, you'll do dumb shit because it's like, okay, I don't want to be killed by a polar bear, but I have to take, if my I'm chances. close enough to starve. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're kind of dead either way, so you exactly. might as well take a, a gamble. It's like when they talk about cornered animals that, like, feel so threatened that they're like, okay, this predator is much bigger than me and could fuck me up, but, you know, I go down fighting. So that's her version of going down fighting. Right. The hunger is a reoccurring theme. Like, even in this story, well, throughout Kivyuk's story, actually, he's very hungry more often than he is not. It's something that you see come up again and again and again. And it speaks to the harshness of the environment. The landscape that the Inuit lived in is very much a part of the mythology. It's an active player in the stories. Okay. Anyway, he paddles for many days, careful to stay near the shore because he is done with being lost at sea. So <laughs> he is never too far from the shore. Him. Yeah, I'm sure that was a terrifying it's kind experience. It's scary, too. Because, like, can you imagine, like, for... Okay, so, again, just just to, like, shed some light on it. When I was playing Dredge, even though it's a game, you know? But when you go out to sea and it starts getting dark and they're trying to make it, quote-unquote, realistic, everything goes dark. So if you don't know your way back, then you're kind of just lost in the open ocean, and that's terrifying. So uh -huh. I'm just try like, trying to picture this dude. Obviously, he's going to want to keep the shore within his line of sight because there are no lighthouses there's no way for him to know where he's gotten it's just like pitch black darkness there yeah. were reddit videos of people taking videos at sea in the middle of the night you could not see shit fam it is the purest darkness yeah it's just really scary oh no i'm sure it was absolutely terrifying and like while he was out there 
I'm sure it would have been like, I don't know if I will ever see land again. So he's very lucky that he did make it back to shore. And I don't blame him again for, for making sure it was always on inside. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he travels along the coastline at this point. And eventually mm -hmm. he sees another hut that also has a lamp burning in the window. And he's wet, hungry, and he's like, maybe whoever is in there will take mercy on me. So he approaches the hut and um, he has a tendency to just walk into huts and he does this. He just walks into this hut and inside he meets a very unusual family. Now I'm all for about accepting non-traditional families, but I think this one is going to be unusual even <laughs> for us. <laughs> so inside there is a woman who lives with her adult daughter mm -hmm. and her husband, the adult daughter's husband who happens to be a piece of driftwood. What? <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, is there some kind of hysteria at play here? Or, like, is is the dude, like, can the driftwood talk? No. No. It's just a piece of driftwood. This is giving me, like, flapjack candy wife feels. <laughs> and you know what, though? What? She was happy in her marriage. She loved her driftwood. They were happy together. <laughs> you know what, girl? Get it. Uh, like, I have been listening to way too much Morbid, and now I think that all dudes are out to kill me. So, you know, get the driftwood. Like, if, if he keeps you happy and does not threaten to shove you into a plastic container, marry the driftwood. I support you. She did. And you know what? The driftwood was a good, good husband. First of all, it's it's kind of like a humanish sized piece of driftwood with four branches, right? And the branches kind of correspond with our arms and legs. But don't get me wrong, it's still driftwood. It's just got four branches, and it it did provide for its family. And this is how the piece of driftwood took care of this little family. The mom and the daughter would take driftwood out every day while the sea was low and then they would mm -hmm. put it down and when the tide came in it would take the driftwood out to sea and then when they came they would come back at night and the driftwood would return and every time it would return it had eight large seals with it two tied to each branch and they would bring it in and then they would have these seals to eat so the driftwood was actually a very good provider and it took care of his little family so get it, Driftwood. Get it. I want to get a piece of Driftwood now. I know. I, I have to say, I'm like, okay, my choices were like, live the single life or marry an asshole or like marry a piece of Driftwood that was going to pay all my bills and take care of me. You know, the Driftwood doesn't look that bad. <laughs> it really doesn't. It looks perfectly fine. I could even carve it out to look like Henry Cowell. <laughs> Give it its own little bed like give it a nice cozy little place and take care of it maybe make a bow tie for it i don't know paint a face on it's good so kibuk is like you know what this is a good life i'm gonna stay with them and i'm gonna eat the seals that their the husband driftwood brings in it's a lot of seals it's more than these women can eat on their own anyway and so he he stayed he rested he grew stronger and recuperated, basically. This is a, a much-needed season of getting healthier <laughs> and having enough to eat. And then one day, when they set out, set the log out to sea, it didn't come back. Driftwood, straight up, uh, went to the store to get milk and never came back. I'm, I'm like, going to rip my hair out of its... <laughs> <laughs> no no driftwood swam away and driftwood. never came back driftwood Why? <laughs> I just standing at the shore where are you driftwood, driftwood. come back Will my driftwood ever return from more? I just think, like, did the driftwood get jealous that there was another man in the house? Honestly, I no, you know what? Like, the driftwood was just like, this dude literally just moved in. He just moved in. He was uh -huh. just like, oh, yeah, you have... Dude, imagine, imagine, like, if you were, like, chilling at home, and someone just walks in and is like, oh, you've got more food than you can handle, and he just, like, moves in there. Yeah. You don't know this guy. You might get frustrated with it, especially if, like... 
your wife maybe started crushing on him. We don't know that that happened, but you know, like how tempting does the strong warrior who just rolled in look compared to like a literal piece of wood, you know? (laughs) I would still take a piece of wood. (laughs) Yeah, your asexual ass probably would. (laughs) I fucking knew she would bring up the asexuality. Listen. Oh I think God. it's a fair argument. So Kibiuk was like, okay, I'm going to step up. And he did. He went hunting to provide for himself and the two women every day. And, you know, at this point, he's doing a lot better. He's a decent provider. The issue, though, is that Kibiuk was getting a little bit homesick. He missed his family. He missed his village. And he missed his home country. And so The more time goes by, the more he just wants to go back home. But does he communicate that? No, he has a very unhealthy way of dealing with this. He is such a toxic male about this. I'm sorry. Kiviuk is normally a decent guy, but this is one place where I don't think he's a decent guy. What does he do? Instead of telling them that, hey, I have a family that I really miss and I really want to go back home, what he does is starts preparing for the journey without telling them. So one of the things is he's like, I don't have enough mittens for my journey. I need more mittens. And so he keeps pretending to lose his mittens. And the women keep making new mittens for him out of the seal skins that he, he, because he's bringing home seals every day. And so he's accumulating these mittens and he's hiding them in his hood until he feels like he has enough mittens. And then he's like, okay, I got my mittens. Time to go. What a mitten fuck boy. He is a mitten fuck boy. So he drove the drift piece of driftwood, he drove him away, and now he's leaving, and like with no regard for how these women are going to get their seals. Yeah, accurate, yes. Fuck's sake. Without warning either, like he could have given them warning. Exactly. They'd been good to him, he had no reason to fuck them over. You know, like, these were good people, they were helping him get food. They were making him mittens. They were giving him a place to stay. And so why? Why not at least give them warning, you know? Because people like to ghost. I guess so. I guess he really wanted to avoid an awkward conversation. And he's like, I realize this puts you in a difficult position where you may end up starving. And especially since I'm not giving you any warning. But um, I'm going to take my mittens and peace out. And he... He, just like the log, set out with the tide and never came back. So that's these it? poor women, yeah, well, no, that's not the full story. That's the full story for them, the the women. Yeah, who, that's what, yeah, that's what. Yeah, I'm sure they have, like, thick abandonment issues now, but, yeah, that's the last we hear about them. I think they die, fam. You know, that is a distinct possibility. We don't know that they survive. We don't know that they die. It's grim. I think, like, their best chance would be to pick up and go find a village where they're part of a community. Or where they're bullied into wearing chicken skin coats. Maybe. Maybe Driftwood Husband comes back now that Kivyuk is gone. Or maybe he's just gone gone. He's moved on, Driftwood Husband. Fuck's sake, Mr. Driftwood. Driftwood husband has a new family now. No. Okay, fine. I don't like this story. <laughs> anyway, Kivu rose along the shoreline again for many days until he once again comes across a hut with a lamp glowing in the window. And he's like, well, I haven't always had great success with just walking in unannounced. <laughs> So maybe I'll actually look in the window and see what's going on before I just walk in. And so this time he does that. He goes over and he looks in the window and he sees there's a bed. He sees and there's a woman on the bed sewing. However, she is not a normal woman. Her head and her hands look exactly like huge black and yellow spiders. Just sitting there sewing. Okay, like, where do I draw the line in this story? Well, this is what I mean by, like, the Inuit stories are so creative. Like, would you find this in a Greek story? No, I don't think you would. No, no, you wouldn't. And, and to be honest, 
there is part of me that's like, well, this kind of makes sense because what are spiders known for? Weaving. And so if she has like spiders for hands, she probably weaves really well because spider web is like super, super strong. And so she, she probably makes textiles that just like last forever. The other mother type But shit. she's also got a spider head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Question, question. If she had yes. a spider, spider head, does she have the head of a spider? Or is the full, like, her head is just a full-on spider, like, with the big spider ass slash abdomen? I think it's a full spider, but I'm not sure yeah. now that you say that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't like spiders. I know some people are going to be like, they're the, hand, the hands make more sense to me. I mean, most people don't. The, the hands of spiders make sense to me in a weird way. The head, I don't know. Anyway, so he's looking through the window at her, and as he does this, his shadow falls on her. And she sees the shadow, and she turns and sees him. And, and to be fair, like, if you were just sitting there in your house, minding your own business, and some rando dude starts staring at you through the window... You'd be freaked out too. So I kind of understand her reaction when she gets like really angry and she grabs a knife and looks like she's ready to go after him. Honestly, girl, same. Like I would do this. How does she grab a knife with her hands? I, I can't believe I didn't think about this before. If your hands are spiders, See? how do you grab a knife? The spiders <laughs> are the knives. I mean, they have fangs, but like the spider legs are notoriously not great at grabbing onto things, you know, like, I mean, they'll s stick to the wall. Maybe they, they suction to the knife. Maybe all eight little legs are suctioned to the handle of the knife, and that's enough to Maybe carry. all eight little legs grab onto the knife together, like, in support of this woman. Like, I feel like her stabbing strength would be very mm -hmm. weak if she's holding the knife spider legs. I'm just saying. See, this is why this is why Fern, if she were into horror, would be Junji Ito because <laughs> because of these questions. Because she'd be walking around and be like, "Huh, spider hands? How do spider hands grab?" And then we'd have a horror story that haunts I'm, our dreams. It's a fair question. It's a fair question, and I'm going to be thinking question. about it all day. <laughs> anyway. So she looks like she's about to stab him, and Kibiuk is like, you know what, I'm just gonna not. Kibiuk, he saw the spider lady somehow grab a knife, and was like, I'm gonna not. And he did not enter the hut, and he returned rapidly <laughs> to his kayak and started traveling up the coast again. And he traveled many more days and nights, Eventually, he came to a land that looked familiar. As he came closer, he recognized it as his own land. Ahead of him were some boats, and he waved, calling out to them. They came over to greet him. I actually waved when I said that. Hello, boats. They came over to greet him, and uh, he found out they had been willing. They had spooned a big old well that they were t towing. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to tow that back to the village. And in one of the boats, he saw the young man who had harpooned the well. And Kiviuk looked at him, and the young man looked at Kiviuk, and for a second, they just looked at each other. And they fell in no, love. That no, that would be incestuous, Keys. because it was his son. And they were like, oh, oh. wait, I know you. Oh, shit. <laughs> Tro Sorry. Tro trying to add an element of incest. No, no, they were just... Really no, happy no, to see I'm each sorry. other because it was family, okay? And so he had found his family and his son, while he was away, had grown to be a mighty hunter and he was so proud. And they hugged each other and it was very emotional. I cannot bring myself to sympathize with the dude that ruined two women's lives. Good on the spider lady for chasing him out, TBH. Honestly, like... Did she do anything wrong? She just saw a weird guy that she didn't no. know looking at her through the window and it was like, fuck off, I'm going to stab and you. And she's like, cha-ching. Yeah, I mean, wh who Love wouldn't her. do the same? You know, who wouldn't do the same? A woman has got to protect Me, herself. Me, because I'd be crying in the corner. Okay, well, Crow would just die, but I would kick some ass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Once he gets to shore, his wife comes out to meet him and she's like, really glad to see him. But then also kind of a little bit not. 
And the new husband that she had taken was not glad to see him. Obviously. And so she had to have a little think about it. She had to be like, oh, do I want Kivyuk? Do I want my new guy? And eventually she's like, fuck the new guy. I want Kivyuk. And she kicked the new guy to the curb. And she and Kivyuk lived happily ever after. So it ended well for all of them, except for the estranged second husband. Sucks to be him. And the witch who probably starved and the two women who did nothing wrong who also probably starved spider lady seemed okay though i think she was fine i think she's still kicking ass and weaving whatever it is yeah she's knitting she's still knitting she's still doing her thing i don't even understand honestly i'm kind of offended that he even included her in the story i'm like she was just minding her own business he's like oh why i saw this spider lady with a giant spider ass for a head and she was knitting Okay, so that was that story. This is a different Kivyuk story because, like I said, there are many, many stories about Kivyuk from many different cultures. And so sometimes they sort of like contradict each other, but it's because they, there are many stories about this guy from many different places. Okay, so this is one story, and this is just a short one. So Kivyuk, back in his single days, was just, you know, going about his thing, and he comes across a woman bathing, which not at all like Kivyuk we've talked about like watching women when they don't know you're there but he thought she was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen in his life however he noticed on the shore that there was this coat of feathers (laughs) oh I know where this is going where is this going crow tell the audience is this one of those swan maiden stories he steals the coat yeah uh, he does steal yeah. the coat. Yeah, he does steal the coat he because the coat. he thinks she's hot. So he takes the coat and decides that he's like, I don't care if she's a bird. She's really, really hot and I want to marry her. Furry. He takes the coat and is like, hey, I want to marry you. I'll take care of you. And she's like, fine. And as time passed, he, t- he did take care of her and he did treat her very well. And she did kind of fall in love with him. You know, in fairness, this isn't just one of those situations where she was just full-on captive the entire time. She she did fall in love with him. They had children. And, okay, this is, this is another Fern moment, but do you think, because it doesn't clarify, do you think that she had live children or she just pooped out some eggs? Laid eggs. She laid eggs. I, I want to say live birth because if I had to imagine human eggs, I, I just would not be able to cope. Wouldn't that be fascinating though? Human eggs? like It would not be. No. <laughs> come back I, to me. Fern, bet, come back to me. <laughs> I bet they have leathery skin like reptile eggs do. Do not. Um, we've lost her. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. What in the platypus fuck? Anyway, she's happy raising this family, but at the same time, she liked being a goose and she kind of missed that. It was a goose, so she wasn't a swan? No, she wasn't a swan. She was a goose. She was actually a goose. Oh, okay, okay. Like, she missed eating goose food. Goose maiden. That was her biggest thing. Like, it's not even like the flying or (laughs) the swimming. Honk, honk. (laughs) Does she honk when they snoo snoo? Does she honk? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Can you imagine, like, she's mm. she's calling her kids in for supper, and she just goes out there and she's honk, 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 honk. This is perfect. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Goose maiden. Goose maiden. Anyway, so her biggest thing was that she missed eating goose food. Kivyuk was a good provider. He would bring in seals and caribou, which is, you know, how he would, as a human Inuit man, want to provide for his family. He would be considered a good provider. However, she's like, well, when I was a goose, I ate grass and sand. They say like grass and sand, but realistically, they're not eating the sand. They're sifting through the sand to find like bugs and stuff, you know, that they want to eat. Scrumptious. Delicious. And so she kept trying to eat that. And he's like, no woman of mine is going to sit there in front of the neighbors and eat sand. As if I hadn't just brought you back a perfectly good caribou. And so they quarreled. They quarreled over this. And he was angry. Just get her the fucking grass, man. <laughs> and the goose woman was really indignant. She was pissed off at him for yelling at her. And she was like, I am going to eat 
what I damn well want to eat. And if you're not going to let me eat my goose food, we're going to have an issue. <laughs> and so one day when Kivu goes out to hunt, she goes hunting around for her, her feather coat and she finds it. And the fact that she found it the first day that she actually looked for it tells me that she wasn't really looking for it before. But she does find it. She puts it on. And by the way, there is this really cool thing in Inuit mythology where there are a lot of birds that have the ability to turn into people. And mm -hmm. they will take their beak when they're a bird and push it up like a visor. Mm -hmm. and so it's up on their head. And then that will that's what starts the transformation and gets them to turn into a human. And then when they want to turn back into a bird they'll pull the beak down and turn back into a bird so okay. it's just like you take the beak push it up uh, so it's on your head like a visor and it looks kind of like a visor and people are like oh you know it's just to block the sun it's not and they don't realize it's actually a beak and then they grab the beak and pull it back down and bird just like that. nice i imagine that's so what it is because like so many great stories about different birds doing this in this mythology and anyway so she turns back into a goose and she takes her little kiddos and her little goslings <laughs> and she's like mm. I used to fly south all the time and then I met your dad and I stopped doing it and you know what it's time we all just take a little trip down south and eat all the goose food that we want she must really like that fucking goose food like you know what girl I support you Eat whatever you want to eat. Don't let any man limit you. But damn, all this for some bugs. I know. And this is the thing. And they keep on referring to it as grass and sand. And she's like, and they're like, she just really wanted to eat the grass and sand. She wants the crunchy sand. Yeah, he thought it was embarrassing. He's like, what will the neighbors think? Don't eat the goose food. Well, why are you eating the goose food in front of the neighbors? Whenever I want a snack, I don't knock the door on my neighbor. And I'm like, yo, dude, check this out. You think they have grass growing inside? No, she goes outside and finds the grass. Just pick it and put it in a bowl. You know, she could do that. <laughs> but, but she didn't. Yeah. Anyway, so she took the little goslings and they all flew south. And then Kivuk returns home and his entire family is gone. And he doesn't know where they went. So he's searching everywhere, high and low for them. And it takes a long time. He's searching for a long time. And one day... He sees this giant man chopping wood. Now, this wasn't an ordinary man. This was a magic man with a magic axe. And when he chopped the wood, he could turn it into little fish. And Kivya goes to him and oh. he explains what happened. And he's like, I can't find my wife. And, wife. and the man is like, I got you, bro. And he takes his magic axe and he chops the wood and makes a giant fish. And it's big enough that... Kivu can ride it around like a horse, but it's a fish, so it's like a seahorse. <laughs> oh, did you did you, was that in the script? I just added oh, that. Smart. <laughs> I'm proud of you, actually. I'm very proud. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so he gets on this fish, and the, he's like, "Fish, take me to my family." And the fish is like, "Gotcha, bro!" And it swims off, and Kivu is on its back and I imagine this was highly unpleasant for both of them because he's getting splashed in the face with the water and the fish is like having to carry this big old dude but eventually they hit land and uh, Kivu gets off and there is his little goose family he and his goose wife talk it out and they make peace and she's like actually you know what I really do miss having you around it was kind of lonely the kids are a handful and it's kind of tough to do this thing on my own and he's like, and you know what? Maybe I was too harsh about this goose food thing. Like, if you really want to eat grass and sand, I guess I'm okay with that. And so they, they talked it out. They made peace. They decided they wanted to live together and that they would just let each other be who they really were. And I like that ending, wow. that part. Communicate. You know what? I have, I have comments. Okay. Let's get the crow commentary. Number one, Goose Lady did the swan maiden thing wrong because selkies and swan maidens, usually what they do is that they find their coat, they pack their own shit up, and they leave. Usually they leave the kids. They don't always take the kids with them. She took the kids with her. Obviously, it was going to be overwhelming as hell. Mm -hmm. Second of all, communication, people. 
communication. Uh-huh. I can totally see this being a Reddit post. Like, am I the asshole for packing up my kids and leaving because my husband won't let me eat Sand. my favorite food? Yeah. <laughs> I, 30F, honk. <laughs> like, and then everyone would be like, red flag, red flag, divorce him. It's just funny. But I do like the, the message that, hey, when you're in a marriage, you need to make concessions. You need Compromise. to be understanding of each other and let people be who they are. Like, you can't yeah. go into a marriage Force expecting... People. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to be understanding. And, and I do like that. I the, the way it started, where he just is like, I got your coat. Now you gotta marry me. Like, that's never healthy. <laughs> but, but at least they got to a healthy place in the end. <laughs> I think what I liked about it as well is that, um, again, like not typical of a swan maiden story, is that she did seem to love him because usually a selkie or a swan maiden will love her husband until she finds her coat. And then she's like, oh, Mm -hmm. bye, fam. Because it's like that awakens this animalistic instinct that is like separate from the life she built as a human. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one was like, no, I still love my children and I still love my dumbass husband and I'm willing to forgive him. And yeah, I hope he forgives me too for just running away instead of talking things out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I imagine they argued about it a lot beforehand until like they realized, hey, we do need to make concessions. And again, like I said, she found that coat the very first time she went looking for it. So it kind of makes me think it was not well hidden and she was kind of choosing to stay up to that point, you know? <laughs> Which is fair. Maybe she was happy and she maybe she just left to make a point. Like maybe when you go to your parents' place and pretend you're angry, knowing full well that your parents will fuck up your mental health. Maybe way more than husband dude. So anyway, that was just another little Kivyuk story. The legend goes that Kivyuk is still alive today, except he's so oh. old that he is slowly turning into stone, and he's about half stone right now. And when he turns into stone completely, that will be the end of the world. Now, an inter- Yeah, yeah, that's not good. Now, an interesting little side note about this. There's a Inuit storyteller named Michael Kusugak, who is a fascinating one. I'm going to link. He did a little YouTube video telling the story of Kivyuk, and I'll link that because it's delightful. He, he's a fun storyteller, and it's very cute. And so I that's would recommend nice. you go watch it. Yeah, but he said he, he had a little anecdote about Kivyuk, which I thought was fascinating. And he he said he was talking about how the story of Kivyuk is told all throughout the Arctic and in those northern territories. And he said, like, one day he was telling us the story of Kivyuk. And after he finished, this blonde haired guy came up to him and it was like, hey, that's an interesting word that you have. We have a similar word in my language. And he's like, well, what's your language? And he's like, Finnish. I'm from Finland. And in Finnish, Kivyuk means stone man. Which totally makes sense, given, you know, the, the, what I just said about Kivyuk slowly turning into stone. And so, uh, this is such a widespread story. A- and yet, you can say the name Kivyuk and so many people have never heard of him. It's, it's fascinating. And more people should know the story. That's what I had to say about the story of Kivyuk. I really like the wide variety of stories you cover in your episodes and this was incredibly delightful because i always like the epics the epics are just not Uh as depressing as some of the shorter (laughs) folklore can be yeah no it's true which isn't to say that the depressing tales aren't beautiful it's just to say that uh, my brain was in no way ready to handle a depressing story today (laughs) so when i heard this i was like this is really nice. It has some nice morals, you know, mm-hmm. in a way that you wouldn't expect. They, they sound like really modern morals for mm-hmm. folklore. Yeah. So it really, it genuinely surprised me. It's like, you know, okay, so even if this dude has some toxic masculinity, like you would expect that from folklore, you know? It's just something that we've come to know it for because people back then had a completely different way of viewing the world. But in this yes. case, they were like, okay, so, you know, his wife escaped. But he also realized that he was being a dickhead for absolutely no reason. I wonder what the story about the Driftwood ladies was trying to tell us, but still. Yeah. I thought they were very wonderful stories. This one, I thought was just kind of like a fun little break from some of the heavier stuff. All right. Well, any other thoughts, Crow? No, I do not have any other thoughts. I have shared my thoughts throughout the episode. All right. In that case, where can they find us? 
If you enjoyed this episode, then feel free to give us a follow. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really enjoyed this episode, then feel free to leave us a review because we would love to hear what you think. We're also available on social media. That would be Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Tumblr, and we've also got an email if you want us to what well, if you want to tell us about the crazy happenings in your life or suggest what we talk about next. But until next time, this is Crow and this is Fern signing off. Bye.